Tov, everyone. Shalom and welcome to our Aliyah a day. Glad to have you with us this morning. Baruch Hashem. Today, we would normally be looking at the fifth Aliyah of the day. Uh, and maybe it's possible, not likely, uh, but we may uh, roll over into the fifth Aliyah. Uh, but there is so much in this particular Torah portion and so much uh, in the fourth Aliyah that more or less today is going to be uh, Aliyah Quattro, the fourth Aliyah part bait, the second part. So uh, we're going to get right to it because we left off yesterday talking primarily about Rosh Chodesh and the calendar and all the different things associated with that. And uh, we're going to be looking at this again um, and getting into the Pesach offering. So let me get a sip of coffee. Excuse me one second. Toda. All right. So let's look. I want to read something to you right quick here because there is, I, I speak sometimes about uh, the idea, the concept of the Noahide, because inevitably you're going to run into that. Uh, uh, it's become, since since ni- the 1950s, uh, the Noahide uh, idea has been uh, popular before that. It was really not ex- not extant, but um, <clears throat> it's become popular, and there is, has developed uh, in Yiddishkeit a dual covenant mentality, meaning that Jews are under one covenant and everybody else, the Noahides, are under another covenant. And the problem with that is it's not true. And so here is an example of that when we're talking about Rosh Chodesh. So Rabbi Nakshon, uh, Nakshoni, excuse me, brings out, he's talking about, uh, let's see here. He says, that uh, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, in his comments to Shemot 12.2, says this month shall be for you a beginning of months, explains that this month, Nisan, is the head and beginning of all renewals. This month of Nisan is the beginning of all renewals. says, let us learn from the month to renew ourselves and increase our light and luster. That's good. So this is one of the fundamental uh, realities of the Rosh Chodesh, is that every single month, uh, the Jewish person gets a renewal, gets a do-over, has a, a, a fresh opportunity to receive Kedusha from Shemayim, has a fresh opportunity to, uh, like I said, have a do-over, to look at the previous month and say, you know what, I could do better. Which, by the way, all of us could say that every single month, and we should try to do better. We don't have to wait, by the way, for the new year. And even if we did wait for the new year, new year and yet in, in, in uh, uh, Judaism, there are four new years. So even if we did wait for the new year, we don't have to wait for a whole year. But he says, elaborations on this theme are found in Hasidic literature, Hidush, Hidush, renewal, says Hidush Harim, belongs only. I want you to listen to this statement because this is, uh, how, do I, how do I say it exactly? You know, again, you're going to run into people that are going to say that, oh, look, you don't have to be a Jew. You can just be a Noahide. And you're going to run into others 
who say, you don't have to be Jewish, just be a Messianic Gentile, right? And they're under the illusion, you could say delusion, that there are two covenants in operation. Um, and there is not. So as Rabbi Nakshoni is saying here, and this, what he's saying here is articulated also by Rabbi Weiss and countless others, etc., etc. He's saying here that Hidush, renewal, which Hidush is a word, of course, the root of it is Chodesh, which is where we get Rosh Chodesh, the renewal. Um, that's why, by the way, just when we when the the, the phraseology of the, the new covenant as explained in Yirmi, uh, uh, Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu, it's not really new covenant in the Greek mind as in something brand new. Why? Because that would insinuate that what God did before was flawed. And of course, nothing that Hashem does is flawed. He, his, his, his word, his covenant is not the problem. So it's not really a brand new covenant, but rather it is a Brit Hadashah. And Hadashah, the root of Hadashah is Hadashah, is Hadash, which means renewal. And if you look it up in, an, in a Hebrew dictionary, you will find that that word means to renew, to polish, uh, to shine back up, to take something that's dull and make it brilliant again. That's what the, that's what the word literally means. It does not mean brand new. And as I said, the reason it doesn't mean brand new is because what God did before was perfectly fine. So it says here, again, going back, Hidush, renewal, says Hidushay Harim, belongs only to Yisrael. So, Rosh Shodesh, everything I just said about the blessing of, of, of uh, renewal, of, of do-overs, all of these things only belong to Israel. No one else. Okay? So what happened to the Noahides? You want to be a Noahide? Okay, that's fine. But just understand that what I'm talking about here doesn't apply to you if that's where you're being led. And I, I don't want you to be led that way. But here it is. The nations of the world are bound by unalterable, unalterable laws of nature. While the Jewish people transcend nature. Rabbi Asher Wise in his commentary to another uh, section says the almost the exact same thing. That Jews live in the supernatural and everybody else is confined to the natural. So, so much for two covenants. It says here, therefore, this month shall be for you. Meaning, only for you is renewal possible, but for no other nation. So here, again, only for you, Israel, and for no other nation, is renewal possible. Hashem has never, ever been a dual covenant God. The good news is not that He now provides a, a separate and distinct covenant for the nations. The good news is that He has opened wide the door for the nations to come in. So we go back to... Uh, our parasha uh, Revi'i, and we read in chapter 12 and verse 1, Hashem said to Moshe and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be a month, uh, be for you the beginning of the months. It shall be for you the first of the months of the year. So <clears throat> why is Nisan number one? 
it's really kind of peculiar because we have uh, the month of Nisan as number one, uh, but we actually celebrate the new year at Rosh Hashanah for number and se- number seven. So that seems kind of uh, counterintuitive. Why do we not celebrate the new year at the new year? Why do we celebrate the new year at Rosh Hashanah? And the answer is because the new year is actually Rosh Hashanah because Hashem is going to bring, He brought about everything that was perfect in the month of perfection, the seventh month. And when He renews everything, He's going to bring it back again Then the same month in which He built it the first time. Why? Because what He did the first time was not a problem. You see? So anyway, but there's another answer here to uh, in the Art Scroll Chumash. It says, by numbering all the months from Nisan, the second month, the third month, the so on, we are always recalling the month of the Exodus. So you see that even though, no matter what is going on in our world, no matter if we are in the seventh month and we're declaring that the uh, new year, which is biblical, by the way, and uh, we're experiencing renewal in that month, it all leads back to the redemption. You know, uh, there's so much to be said. I, I, this this power, I literally, I literally, I really do think that I could do an entire week of aliyot on this one aliyah. Um, this is why the tabernacle had a foundation of silver. If you look at the tabernacle, everything that the tabernacle was was built upon sockets of solid silver. Where did the silver come from? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me. The silver came from the uh, half-shekel coins that the the men uh, gave as the redemption money. Uh, that Those coins were taken and melted down and turned into the foundation of silver uh, upon which the entire tabernacle stood. Not just that, but if you do the math, you'll find that there was a little bit of silver left over and it was uh, no coincidence that there was just enough silver left over that uh, it was used for the silver rings that held up the walls of the tabernacle. Exact, exact amount. Every ounce of silver exactly, if you do the math in the Torah, was used to uh, build the foundation of the tabernacle and to build the rings that held the walls up, which means that the entire tabernacle is supported top to bottom, bottom to top, on silver. Why does that matter? Because silver represents redemption. So we count the months from Nisan. Why? Because we always want to direct our attention to what? The the Exodus. Everything goes back to the Exodus. Shabbat is a sign of the Exodus. Tefillin is a sign of the Exodus. And circumcision is a sign of the Exodus which is why we don't wrap tefillin on Shabbat, because we only need two witnesses. And on Shabbat, we have the Shabbat and we have circumcision, which is our two witnesses. Uh, Incidentally, ladies, you are naturally circumcised. And I I mean that sincerely. Uh, And so therefore, we don't wrap tefillin on Shabbat. When we're not on Shabbat, we wrap tefillin. Why? Because we have always with us two witnesses. So it says... um, Going, continuing on here, similarly, the daily morning service names the days of the week with relation to the Shabbat. 
Ford is reciting the song of the day. We refer to the first day of the Shabbat, the second day of the Shabbat, and so on. This keeps the Sabbath in mind, for it is the day that testifies to God as the one who created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. So therefore, this is why we say first day, second day, third day, fourth day. The only day of the week that has a name in, in Hebrew is Shabbat. Because everything points to the Shabbat. Everything is about the Shabbat. Every day we prepare for the Shabbat. We, th- we often say, and it's not wrong in saying it, but we often say that uh, the sixth day of the week, week is prep day. That's true. That's really a true statement. But it's also true to say that every day of the week is actually prep day. Prep day for what? For the... Um, for the Yom Tov, for the uh, Hag, for the, the holiday that we have every single seventh day, which is Shabbat. And what are we doing on Shabbat? On Shabbat, we are proclaiming that God is the creator of the universe. And at the Pesach, we're, de- we're declaring that the creator of the universe is also our Redeemer. Now, why do we use Babylonian names for the months? That's a good question. People wonder why. Why don't we still refer to it as first month, second month, etc.? Why do we have Nisan, uh, Yar, Sevan, uh, Tammuz? And the answer is, is that this comes from the scripture. What refers to the fact um, that we started calling the months by their names when we left Babylon. Why? Because we were pagan? No. But rather, it is a tribute to remember that exodus. Now listen, there were three times that Moshe went up to to Mount Sinai. We talk about the Exodus, right? And we say there's going to be another Exodus, and there will be. The sages say that the final redemption will be like the first redemption. But everything is mirrored. There uh, were two temples, there's going to be a third. There were three times that that Moshe went up to the mountain. The second time was kind of a uh, a lesser, not really a lesser time, I wouldn't say, but it's kind of a... a less dramatic time, maybe. Uh, you know, he goes up there to receive the the Torah, comes down, Torah breaks, goes back up to plead that God should not destroy us, comes back down, then goes back up and gets the second Torah. Those correspond to the three temples. Uh, the second visit up to the mountain corresponds to the second temple. Uh, but also, we have here, we could say, that with Moshe going up, the second time and coming back down, that corresponds to the, to the second exodus, the Babylonian exodus. That's why we call the names of the months by their name. Um, also, he read, write, writes here in the art school, Humash, quoting Rashi, the word Chodesh should be understood not as month, but as renewal. God showed Moses the new moon and told him, when you see the moon in its new phase, it shall be a Rosh Chodesh for you. And I love what it says in the next comment, actually uh, quoting from Sforno. It says, uh, for you, lechem. And it says here, this word appears twice in this verse to stress a new relationship between the Jews and time. It says here, as slaves, time belonged to their masters, not to them, for they did not have the freedom to act as they pleased, when they pleased. But from now on, Jews will be masters of their own time. As I said earlier, there are uh, cultish uh, Gentile sects who try to create new calendars. And we have to ask the question, spiritually, why? Why do they do that? And uh, one of the reasons for that, think about it. Understand that the creation of a true Hebrew biblical calendar, the first mitzvah for that came about at the Pesach, at the redemption. 
What happened there is that we as Jews became master of time. No longer were we subject to the world's calendar, the world's timetable, but rather we were subject to God's calendar. We're not on their calendar anymore. You know, uh, we don't celebrate their holidays. We have completely different holidays. One of our members uh, uh, works at a good job, and and it just so happened that uh, you know he was able to get off, of course, for all of the yamtos. And when it came time for the fake holidays uh, in December, uh, he said to his employer, "Hey, I just want to let you know that uh, I'm willing to work all those holidays, no problem." And they said, "Really? Because everybody wants off?" He said, "Of course." And so they said uh, enthusiastically. Come on, we love it. Thank you so much. And they paid him uh, uh, two uh, two and a half times, I believe, just because he 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 was he was on God's uh, calendar. He was master of his own time. So, so <clears throat> when we talk about Gentiles trying to create new t- calendars and take our calendar for us, what are we talking about? We're talking about people that are trying to make us slaves to their own calendars now. They're trying to take our freedom of time away. You see, there's a spiritual reason for all of this nonsense. There is a diabolical, demonic reason for it. That's my point. All right. So the Pesach in Egypt. So we get into the Pesach in Egypt. And uh, chapter 12 and verse 3, speak to the entire assembly of, of Israel. So we say... Here is a unique word. The first time that a word is used, so let's read it in Ivrit. So we see it. Davru el koch adat Israel. The word that's being used here for the first time ever in the Torah is the word adat. And so the Pesach in Egypt was a unique event. Uh, it was held in a unique way. We don't follow the same exact halacha today when we... well especially today because we don't have a temple. But if we're talking about in the first century and before when the, the, the uh, uh, temple Shani existed or the, maybe the first temple, we still didn't celebrate uh, Pesach in the exact same way because the Pesach in, in Mitzrayim was completely unique. And so, but this word Adat means assembly. And I like just what it says here in the Atzkol Chumash. It says this word... Um, is derived from the root yud ayin dalit, which means to fix or to appoint. And so the implication from Rabbi Hirsch is that this is a society, a community, an assembly, united in their common calling. That's what makes community community. The reason we are together is because we're together. We have a united uh, call. It doesn't mean, notice that a dot does not mean that every single person in the community agrees on every single thing. Listen, you're going to be a part of, uh, of our community. You may not agree with every single thing. And some of those things with which you don't agree could be maybe big things, but a lot of times they're kind of uh, seemingly insignificant things. You, sh- you, should, might, you might think that we should have our, uh, you know, a different design on the holocover. Uh, and so we don't, you know, those kinds of things. We live in a world today where ha- everybody, be- and probably because of social media, everybody thinks that our various opinions are gospel truth. That uh, if we have an opinion and somebody disagrees with it, we have to unfriend them, take them off our wall, no longer play Candy Crush with them, you know, all those kinds of things. <laughs> we got to get over that. We got to get over ourselves. That's not, uh, that's not being humble. 
So we see here the unique offering. The, one of the reasons why it was the, the Pesach offering is unique. There's a couple of reasons why the Pesach offering itself is unique. What I'm about to say first applies to all the Pesach offerings that were done from, uh, Shema, uh, from uh, Mitzrayim on through the Temple era. Number one, it was the only offering that a lay person could slaughter themselves. Uh, the, on all other offerings, the priest had to slaughter the offering for you. The Pesach was unique in that it was an offering that the head of the house, of course, he's represent, the head of the house is representing his whole house. And so therefore, Rabbi Monk talks about this is one of the core principles in which we find the, the, uh, the principle of being able to, uh, to uh, uh, elect a shliach, an agent in your place. Okay, so an apostle, a shliach, is an agent who represents the one that he sent. Now, this is important, okay? What I just said is important. Because if we claim to be a shliach of Yeshua, a shliach has to be an, a an agent, not only in fact, not only in what they are sent to do, but the agent represents the person 100%. In other words, he has to be an agent in fact and, and, and an agent in substance. You cannot send someone to be a shliach for you to do a mitzvah and they're goyim. Right? You can't have a goy, for instance. You cannot appoint a goy to act as your moel. Hasveshalom. You can't send the goy to do other things. You can't, you know, you, you, you can, you, in other words, so if we're going to say we're going to be a shliach of Yeshua, we have to represent Yeshua in all respects. That's what I'm saying. So that's the number one thing. By the way, I should say that when we have Pesach seders nowadays, uh, this, this is universal Jewish wide. We do not have lamb at the Pesach Seder. In fact, you're not supposed to have lamb. You are not supposed to have lamb at your Pesach Seder in today's day and age. Why? The reason why is because when we ate lamb back in the old days when the temple existed, that lamb was a sacrifice. And so the reason we don't eat lamb today is because we do not have a temple Okay, so somebody might say, well, the Torah commands us to eat lamb at the Pesach Seder. Yes, it does. It orders us to eat the sacrificed lamb at the Pesach Seder. The lamb that you might eat, that you would buy from the kosher market, is not a sacrifice, chasve shalom, because to sacrifice outside the temple would be a big, ulu Hashem, would be a big, big, big hate. We can't do it. Big sin. And if we have uh, lamb at the Pesach Seder, we are essentially implying, inferring, insinuating that it is the sacrifice, and that is lotov. Some would say we shouldn't even have roasted meat. Uh, but the main thing is we don't have lamb. You can have lamb the rest of the week, but not on Seder night. That's the thing. Now, 
But what's also unique about the the say the Pesach, it says here, the general rule is that all animals used for offerings must be examined for blemishes for four days. This examination need not necessarily be done by the owner. He's free to purchase an animal that had been examined by uh, the seller and uh, who was found to be uh, blemish-free. Uh, however, this Pesach was unique in that we were required to take our own lamb and to do our own inspection. And so um, that applies spiritually today. We need to inspect what we believe. Uh, we need to be educated Jews. We need to be people who are uh, dedicated to study. We need to toil in Torah study. This is why I tell people that you need to take time to read and study the Torah portion every single week. You need to watch this Aliyah every single day or, or listen to it on podcasts, one of, the, one, of, one of the two ways. You need to plug into the shul and listen. You need to go back and watch the videos on YouTube. You know, we only have like, uh, I don't know, like eight years worth of teaching on, on, on YouTube, right? Uh, you know, I, I was just calculating this morning that in a given week, I, I offer, uh, you know, each week now about five hours worth of teaching every single week. There's really no reason to go anywhere else, by the way. We're a one-stop shop. We are uh, a, <laughs> a big box store for uh, Lapid Judaism. But seriously, you need to apply yourself. You need to study the Lamb for yourself. So, <clears throat> redemption, moving on. We have a few minutes here. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Let me, let me go ahead and, and skip over. Um, I'm not going to skip over everything, but I just want to read this right quick because I don't, uh, this is just a fresh, hot off the press. Um, because some of this we might reserve till tomorrow because we get into Memtet and this particular Aliyah. Uh, but let me read this right quick. So, <clears throat> this is from Arbenu Bachia. This is to... Um, Shemot 12 verse, he's commenting here on verse 23, and I just want to point this out because we're just talking about the Seder, and uh, you can almost, uh, you can almost taste the matzah and the maor already, but anyway, it says here, it's talking about the blood on the, on the doorpost, and, and Rabbeinu Bakya mentions that there are actually four altars associated with the doorpost, so here, um, he's talking about in this particular um, this particular verse uh, that Hashem will skip over that entrance. And the reason he's skipping over it is because he sees four altars. What are the four altars? According to Mekila Piska, section 6, the four altars are the lintel, the two upright posts, and the threshold. Okay? That's where... We have the blood applied to, and when Hashem sees that blood, he passes over. Now, the word Pesach, by the way, means Passover, sure, but it actually, at its root, it means it, uh, to, like, cover up. So it's, it's not just so much that Hashem has passed over us, but, but literally he himself has become our cover. But <clears throat> anyway, I digress. So it says here, the four cups of yain, the four cups of wine we drink at the Seder celebration symbolize these four altars. How? Glad you asked. 
The first cup, the one drunk during Kiddush, symbolized the letter Yud, which is holy. The second cup we drink uh, as a memento of the Haggadah, the story of all the miracles, symbolizes the letter He, from which all miracles emanate. The third cup is drunk in connection with grace, corresponding to the letter Vav, which is reminiscent of Hashemayim, heaven, as it says in the verse, V'yatah Tasmei Hashemayim, and you are to listen, you are listening rather, in heaven, Kings, 1 Kings 8.32. And this is a source, heaven, Shemayim, of all of our food. As God said in Exodus 16.4, here I will make bread rain down for you from heaven. We know, of course, that Yeshua is the bread from heaven. That's why he said what he said. The fourth cup, over which we recite the verse, pour out your wrath against the nations which refuse to acknowledge you, symbolizes the last letter, hey, in the Yudke Vavke, which is a clear reference to the attribute of justice. So I think that that was a wonderful insight. I would only add one other thing to what Rabbi, Rabbi Nubakya said. And that is that there is a fifth cup at the Pesach Seder referred to as Elijah cup. And the Elijah cup represents resurrection. Therefore, we have a letter that we need to add, so to speak, to the Pesach Seder. What do you mean? What are you talking about, Rabbi? Well, we have the Yudke Vavke, but we have another letter, the Dalit. The Dalit is in the name, uh, when you add the Dalit to the name Yudke Vavke, you get the name Yehuda, and the Dalit represents the door, which represents Mashiach, who is the life and the resurrection. And we are looking forward to the life and the resurrection. Why is it a Dalit? Because every time we prepare to drink the fifth cup, we send a little child to the door to find out if Elijah is there, which means what? The resurrection of the dead has come. May it be soon and in our time. We're going to end our Aliyah here today. Now, tomorrow we are going to, uh, with God's help, have uh, the fourth Aliyah Gimel and maybe uh, maybe some other insights. But I, I, as I said, this is so much in this particular Aliyah. Uh, we're going to do it the very, very best that we can. Uh, you have a beautiful day. Have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful today. Hey, pray for us because we're going down... Uh, here in just about a, an hour, and we're going to look at the design of the mikvah. And uh, it's been designed in a completely 100% kosher way. And so just pray, just send some nachas our way, send some kedusha our way, that Hashem should bless us as we go and look at this design. Shalom, shalom. We'll see everybody tomorrow.